0: You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join Pastor Ryan now. Continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke, uh, if you've been with us uh, through this study, uh, we've been looking at the life and ministry of Jesus and, and looking at his teachings and how uh, they are challenging uh, to us, and, and we want to take them at face value. And I think so often we we look at the teachings of Jesus, we look at the things that are said, and we just sort of take them for granted, and we become jaded to the message. Do You know what I mean? You hear things, and they don't really impact you the way that they should. Like praying for your enemies, loving those that spitefully use you. These kinds of things that Jesus challenges us to do, and I think we can very easily just hear that and think, "Yeah, that's cool." That's the gospel. That's Christianity but ha- not really have it impact you the way that it's intended to. It's it's intended to pierce your heart. It's intended to make you say, "Man, I'm a wretch. I I need to fall upon the grace of God. I I need his power to accomplish this." Because Christianity is not intended to make you a better person. In fact, it's just the opposite. Christianity is intended to bring you to a place where you understand that you have absolutely nothing to offer God and that you need Jesus and he comes into your life and he gives you righteousness by which you can then bring glory to Jesus instead of being puffed up with pride. And, and those that believe they've pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps, they don't have humility, they don't run to Jesus, they have pride. And they believe it's all about them. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, I have nothing. It's all about Jesus. And you allow him to flow through you. And you allow him to produce works of righteousness in you. It's completely different. And so this morning we're going to look at Luke chapter 9. And the theme of this text that we're going to look at, verses 1 through 27, is really our mission. And we all like missions. Whether it's a missions trip or whether it is a, an adventure of some kind, a vacation, a challenge. We all like missions. I mean, even Dora the Explorer has figured out that little kids like missions. And even though it's so simple, right? You know, go around the rock, over the bridge, and through the mountains, and then you've accomplished your mission. It's this little simple thing, but kids love it. Because kids love missions. And we love a challenge, a mission. We, we love Mission Impossible. We, we love that kind of an of a adventure. And God has given us a mission, and should we choose to accept it, it's not a Mission Impossible. It's a mission possible by His power and His grace and His strength. It, it's a mission that you can accomplish, and it's the most exciting thing that you and I will ever do. Anything else will pale in comparison to serving the living God, to being used by Him. And if you've ever been used by God, if you've ever had the opportunity to lead somebody to Jesus, or if you've ever had the opportunity to to serve in a ministry and to see fruit from that and to see people blessed by what you're doing, you know that there's nothing else in the world that even comes close to comparing to that. You can skydive and you can mountain climb and you can snowboard or you can go to every theme park in the country or take part in great sporting events or go on amazing vacations. But it's nothing compared to being used by God. And in verses 1 through 9, we see Jesus sending out the 12. He gives them a mission, which really speaks of the fact that he's given us a mission. It says, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So not only did he give them the might, but he gave them the right. And we need that. We not only need the power to serve God, but we need his authority. Remember when Moses was sent by God on a mission to go and to free his people from slavery and bondage in Egypt? And Moses made all these excuses, and God kept whittling the excuses down. And finally, Moses said, okay, I'll do it. But who shall I say, is sending me. In other words, by what authority am I going to do this? Am I just going to show up and say, hey, uh, why don't you follow me, okay? All two million of you, get in line. Let's go. Let's do the choo-choo train here, you know, right out of Egypt. What what am I going to say to these people? And God said, say that I am is sending you. And so he's given them the might and also the right. And he's given you the might. He's given you the power. He's given you the right. He's given you the authority. And so when people challenge you or say to you who are you to talk to me about god or who are you to tell me how to live my life and you can very humbly and compassionately say i've been given authority from the living god from your creator this is his message to you gave them a power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases now this isn't some carte blanche kind of authority over sicknesses and demons because we see later that there's going to be a, a little boy who is demon-possessed, who keeps throwing himself into the fire, and the disciples are unable to cast him out. The nine that are down at the base of the mountain waiting for Jesus and Peter, James, and John to come back down. And they're unable to. And then Jesus comes down and just says, well, this kind comes out by prayer and fasting and, and just casts the demon right out of the little boy. And And so we know this isn't carte blanche. This isn't some kind of authority that they have at their disposal, but for this particular mission. And God will equip you, and God will empower you for particular things at particular times. And he'll give you the gifts and the enablings that you need. And he sent them to do what? To preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And so he sent them to do something very practical to heal the sick, something that would meet everyday needs, which is important but he also sent them to do something that would be very spiritual and eternal to preach the kingdom of God, which starts now. The kingdom of God is not just when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom. The kingdom of God starts right now in your heart. It's about making Jesus your king, recognizing his sovereignty and making him your king, recognizing your rightful place in that kingdom, that you don't rule it, that it doesn't revolve around you, that it's not all about you, That it's about Jesus. He's the king. And how do I relate to that? How ought I to live in relationship to the fact that he's my king? This is his kingdom. He's sovereign. He's ruling. He's reigning. And so that's what we ought to be preaching. The gospel includes that. The gospel is not just, hey, God wants to give you a better life. God wants to give you everything that you've never had before. The gospel, you guys, includes repentance of sin. It includes the fact that God wants to be the sovereign ruler of your life. That's what it means to preach the kingdom of God. And so he, he, he commands them, he gives them the might and the right to go do something very practical, like feeding the hungry, like helping somebody move, mowing somebody's lawn, raking leaves. These are practical things. Making a meal for somebody. That's not going to necessarily change somebody's life, but it is a medium, it's a catalyst through which you can then preach the kingdom of God. Jesus understood when he was healing these people that he wasn't doing something eternal for them, but he was doing that to show his power, to show his compassion, to show his love. And so we do that as well. And so we don't want to just be a, a church that exists here in Prineville in Crook County, that is all about the the four walls of of our building here, and and basically saying to the community, look, if you want what we have, then come here, and we'll give it to you. No, we want to go to them, like Jesus did, because we're on a mission. He sent you to them. The church today wants to escape all of that. It wants to escape the world, almost, and let's keep all the bad stuff out. Let's keep it at, at arm's length, because we just want to live in our own little bubble of righteousness. And then when we're in our bubble, we realize, wow, we, we're trying to keep sin out. We're trying to keep the bad stuff out. So that means I've got to dress a certain way, and I've got to talk a certain way, and I've got to act a certain way, and I certainly can't be honest, and I can't be transparent because we're trying to keep all that stuff out. And so I can't admit that I've got problems and see it all becomes a big joke. But when we're mission-minded, when we're missional, and we're doing what Jesus has commanded us to do, to go out and to reach sinners, it creates a transparency within us, it creates an openness, and it allows us to truly do what God's called us to do. And so he gave them the might and the right to go out, to preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, And do not have two tunics apiece. In other words, don't have an extra one, just the one you're wearing. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So Jesus sends them on a mission and he says to them, Look, I don't want you to take a bunch of stuff with you. I just want you to go and I want you to trust me. Now again, this isn't always the way that it's done. Because later in chapter 22, Jesus says to them, look, remember the first time I sent you and, and I told you not to bring anything and I provided for you, right? And they're like, yeah. And he says, okay, well now go ahead and bring something. And so this is sort of a way for Jesus to teach them a lesson. But it doesn't always mean that God is calling you to just sell everything or to not have your, your practical needs taken care of ahead of time. That doesn't mean that, but in certain instances, God will say, look, I just want you to go and I want you to trust me, whatever that might be, in, in whatever context that might be for you. We always think, okay, well, that means I'm moving to Africa. No, it doesn't necessarily mean that. Just like tomorrow when you go to work, it it might just mean that that God is saying to you, I want you to trust me. and I I want you not to run around and try to, figure all of this out and how you're going to keep your job or how you're going to make everybody happy. I just want you to trust me because you're on a mission. And if you're all consumed with taking care of yourself, taking care of your practical needs, then you're not going to accomplish your mission very well. That, that's what it means. And see, I think some of us have, have gotten so wrapped up and so consumed in this life that we're not accomplishing our mission very well, that we're encumbered with all kinds of possessions and all kinds of worries and all kinds of baggage that is holding us back from what god would have for us and so they departed they went out and they preached the gospel and they healed people they did what jesus called them to do they preached the gospel that's your mission that's what you're called to do it doesn't mean you're going to be a full-time evangelist Doesn't mean you're going to be a pastor or a leader in the church but you are called to be a preacher a herald of the gospel Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, you have the most amazing message to bring to a lost world. Jesus said in John chapter 20, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus was the first missionary. Jesus was mission-minded. Jesus stepped out of the comforts of heaven, and he became a man, and he condescended to us, and he became culturally relevant to people, and he walked among people, and he reached out to people that nobody else would reach out to. And that's what you and I have been called to do. To step out of our comfortable, cozy lifestyle. And to make sacrifices. To die to ourselves, as we're going to talk about this morning. And, and to reach out, to be mission-minded. See, that's your purpose in life. And if you feel like, man, I just am empty and I'm dry. And I don't feel like I have purpose or direction in life. It very well could be because you're on the wrong mission. Somewhere along the way, you've gotten off track and your, your mission is no longer the one that God has given you. And it's no wonder that you feel those things because you need to rightly relate to God. And when you're not obeying Him and when you're not on your mission that He's given you, then you're insubordinate. And so Jesus sends the disciples and Jesus has sent you on a mission. Not a mission impossible, a mission possible by his power and his strength. The most exciting thing that you'll ever do to serve God. What's holding you back? That's the question. What is holding you back from fulfilling the mission that God has given you? Maybe you say, well, I've got to work a lot. I've got a lot going on. And there's just no way I don't have the time. Uh, maybe you say, I, I don't have the gifting. I don't have the ability. And we learn here that Jesus not only sins, but Jesus provides. But before that we see that when we're on our mission, that we're going to ruffle feathers. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be people that take notice. And it says, now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. And Herod said, John, I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. Other gospels tell us that he sought to see him because he wanted to see what kind of a miracle he would do. Basically, this is Herod the Tetrarch, which means a fourth part. And Herod the Great had four sons and his kingdom was divided into into four parts. And, and this is Herod Antipas who was in charge of the, the area of of Israel. And he's hearing about Jesus and More than likely, as the disciples have now gone out and they are healing the sick and they're preaching the gospel, people are really starting to take notice now. Because it's not only Jesus, but now he's sending other guys with the same message. And so the king, Herod here, is noticing, and he says, this sounds awfully familiar to that guy that I beheaded. What is up with this? He starts asking his advisors, and they're saying, well, some say it might be Elijah, come back. Others say it's one of the... The prophets and some say john the baptist whom you beheaded who herod felt really guilty about because john the baptist was challenging herod and his wife of an adulterous relationship he was challenging their lifestyle and so finally herod's adulterous wife says i want you to put him to death because herod's stepdaughter danced seductively in front of him aroused him and his friends and he said I'll do whatever you want. It's just this absolute mess of a situation. Maybe it sounds a lot like your family. I don't know. But that's that's what was going on. I mean, it's just perverted, it's twisted, it's gross. Because his adulterous wife was also his brother's wife, and it was both of their nieces. So it's this twisted web of perversion here. And finally, Herod puts John the Baptist to death. And he felt guilty about it. He didn't want to do it because he liked him. But he had to do it. And so Herod now is taking notice. And you know what? When we're on our mission, you guys, when we're doing what God has called us to do, people will notice. And some people won't like it very much. Some people will come against you. They'll talk badly about you. They'll try to get you fired from your job. You'll become the black sheep of your family. There's a price to be paid for being on your mission. But as I said, when Jesus sends you, He takes care of you, and he provides for you. And that's what we see in verses 10 to 17. It's a familiar story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. And so they come back, and they're telling Jesus what they did. How cool would that be? To be sent out by Jesus, then to come back and to tell him all that you did and all of your experiences. And you know what? You get to do that too. You get to go to God and say, Lord, thank you for using me in this way. God, what an amazing opportunity. Lord, give me more opportunities. Because when you start to serve God, you're going to get stoked about it, and you're not going to want to quit. It's like a a drug that God approves of. You get to take all the time. You get to be stoked and, and just filled with joy because you're on your mission, because you're doing what you've been created for and what you're called to do. And you know that feeling when you are doing what you were made for. You know that feeling when you are rightly relating to whatever it is that, that you're doing. In, in other words, when you have a job and you're doing it well and, and you're being approved of, there's, there's a sense of satisfaction to that. And the same is true when, when you understand your job, your mission as a Christian. And you're rightly relating to that and you're in the right place and and you feel like you're sensing the approval of God and you you tell him about it and and he continues to give you more to do then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida so Jesus takes his disciples they want to get away for a little while they've been out doing lots of ministry they're tired but when the multitudes knew it they followed him they always do right and so what does Jesus do hey get out of here we don't have time for you we're we're busy here we're we're relaxing we need to be refreshed no it says he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of god and healed those who had need of healing he received them and so when you're on your mission and you're tired and you need to relax and you need to to be refreshed it may be that god gives you other opportunities and god says you know what this isn't a time to just sit back and do nothing i'm I'm giving you more to do don't be selfish and when the day began to wear away the 12 came and said to him Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. Typical disciples, right? Hey, Jesus, yeah, it's been nice. You know, you, you've been able to speak to these people and, and been able to preach to them. And, and, but let's get rid of them now. We, it's getting dark, and we don't have anything to give them. They're getting hungry. We're in a deserted place. There's no store nearby. There's, there's no homes for us to stay in. Let's get rid of the problem here. And what Jesus wants to teach them is that not only are they on a mission, not only are you on a mission, but that he's your provider in that mission. That's, that's the entirety of what Jesus is trying to teach them. He's not only providing a very practical need for these people that are gathered there, but he's also teaching a very valuable lesson. And God will do that. God will meet needs through you and also teach you things along the way. And that's what he does with the disciples because he's about to be crucified, resurrected, and ascend back into heaven, he's going to leave these guys on their own. And he wants them to know that, yes, you're on a mission, but I'm your provider for that mission. And so, okay, there is a multitude here. and, And yeah, you have no way of providing for their needs, but I'm your provider. And so you might be thinking to yourself, okay, I understand, Ryan, I'm on a mission. I understand that I've been given a message. I understand that I have a lot to do, but I'm not equipped for it, I'm not smart enough, I don't have time, I don't have the resources, and what Jesus wants you to know is he's your provider. He will make it happen. God doesn't give you a mission without giving you provision. God's callings are his enablings. And so Jesus said to them, hey, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. Now we know from other gospels that a young boy had brought his lunch and said to the disciples, look here, this is what I have and gave the little that he had. And that's what God would ask of you for you to give the little that you have, and then he will multiply it. He will create a huge resource out of that. Jesus gave them a command. You give them something to eat. Jesus has given you a command. He's given you a mission. Now don't Think about all the reasons why it won't work like the disciples do, about all of your lack. Just remember who you're talking to. Remember who's giving you this mission. He'll provide. He's not gonna tell you to do something and then leave you on your own to figure out how to do it. They said, look, we've only got a few fish, five loaves. How are we gonna do this unless we go buy food for all these people? In other words, we don't have the money, Jesus. Are you trying to bankrupt us here? We're a small church, we're a new church. We we can't afford this. We can't do this. This isn't going to work. There's five thousand men here, Jesus, which conservatively would be ten thousand people, upwards of twenty thousand people if they had a couple kids apiece. Anywhere from ten to twenty thousand people, and they're gonna feed them with some some loaves. And we're not talking about you know French bread here. We're talking about little loaves that. A mom would have packed for this little boy in his lunch five of those and a couple small fish and that's what we have That's what this church has we just have a couple loaves a few fish and god says I want you to go out And I want you to reach the city and we all oh, we don't have the money for that We don't have the manpower for that. I can't tell you how many pastors i've heard say that kind of thing We're not ready for that. We don't have the resources for that. That is a bunch of bull Jesus proves that right here. You're never going to be ready for your mission Because your mission is way beyond you. When are you ever going to be ready for it? But he is equipping you, and he's training you, and he's giving you the resources to go do it. So he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so. And he made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, literally satisfied glutted, and 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. Now, this is not by accident, and I'm not one to get into a lot of numerology and to read into things, but I don't think there's any uh, coincidence at all that there are 12 baskets left over, one for each of the disciples to walk away with, to be reminded of God's provision, that when God calls you to do something, He will provide for you. And what's God calling you to do? He's going to give you the time, the energy, the gifting, the resources. You just have to step out and do it. You give them something to eat. If you notice a need, you guys, more than likely God is calling you to meet that need. He's not calling you to pick up the phone and call me. Hey, um, you know, I've noticed that uh, this needs to get done or this is a lack in the church or this family needs help. You can do that. You can call me, but here's what I'm going to say to you that's awesome. You notice that? That's great. Let me pray for you and how God's going to use you to fulfill that need. Oh, well, um, I, I didn't really mean it that way. See, what we don't need in the church is people that notice needs. Those people are a dime a dozen. That's not what we need. Anybody can notice that the, paint, the walls need to be painted. That's not a real talent or skill. Anybody can notice that the building is dirty. Anybody can notice that there is a lost world out there that needs jesus the bible says the harvest is plentiful the workers are few and so what we don't need is people that notice needs now i'm not minimizing the fact that there are things that go unnoticed and 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 that it's awesome when people notice things but i'll tell you what's even greater is that when people notice things and they step up and they do it and they say i'm going to take that on i'm going to do that because god has brought that to my attention he didn't bring it to anybody else's attention In fact, he didn't even bring it to Ryan or the other elders' attention, and they are constantly thinking about the church. And so there must be something really special involved in this. Or maybe it's not even the church, maybe it's the community. And it's a need that God has shown you, and he wants you to do it. And you think, oh man, I could never do that. I don't have the skills, I don't have the time. And what God says to you is, I want you to pray, I want you to trust me, I put this on your heart, I'm not in a hurry, so just wait. And just continue to pray, continue to make steps, continue to seek me and see if this is something that I would have you to do. And, and that being said, I think it's important to realize that there's a difference between needs and burdens. And you remember Nehemiah? Nehemiah was raised in t- his entire life in Babylon, but he was Jewish. And here he is, a, an adult man. He's serving in the kingdom of the Persians who had conquered the Babylonians. He's serving the king. And, and God begins to show him a need. God begins to show him that, you know what? I only called this nation to be in captivity for 70 years. You're going to go back to the land. And I know you've never seen it before, and you have nothing to compare it to, but suffice it to say, it's in ruins, and it's a pile of garbage compared to what it was. And I'm calling you to go back and to rebuild the wall and to begin to rebuild the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem specifically. And Nehemiah understood the need. But then for several months he prays and he seeks God and that need became a burden. And then he went to the king with threat of his life. He didn't know how the king was going to respond to him saying, I feel called by God on a mission to go back to my homeland. You think that king cared about the the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem? And yet he did it because it was a burden. And so you might see a need. That doesn't mean that you're supposed to respond to every need. Pray and ask God seek him and when it becomes a burden on your heart then step out and take that mission on and know that he'll provide for you and he'll give you the ability to accomplish it and they walked away with a basket full of bread and fish to remind them that he's their provider as philippians four nineteen says and my god shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by christ jesus do you believe that do you believe that god will provide for all of your needs Do you believe that God has not only given you a mission, but he's given you the provision to accomplish that mission? So Jesus sends them. Then Jesus provides for them. Now Jesus is going to test them. Verses 18 to 20, it says, And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, saying, Who do the crowd say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist. But some say, Elijah. And others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. So Jesus tests them (laughs) by asking them, first of all, who do the crowd say that I am? And then very pointedly and specifically, who do you say that I am? And this is the theme of the Gospel of Luke, is who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus? You remember going back to chapter 7 where John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus. And he asks Jesus, are you the coming one? And then later in that chapter, those at the table in Simon's house, after Jesus forgives the woman, the sinful woman of her sins, the the people at the table say, who is this that forgives sins? Who can this be? And last week in chapter 8, the disciples, after Jesus calms the sea, shows them that he's the master of the storm, the disciples ask, who can this be? that even the winds and the waves obey him. This is the theme of the Gospel of Luke, because Luke is writing this to probably an unbelieving Theophilus. And he's saying to him, Theophilus, Jesus is God in human flesh. He's fully God, he's fully man, and you need to embrace him. I want to show you who he is. And he gives him an apologetic for the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus tests his disciples with that same question. Who do the crowds say that I am? All kinds of different things. People say Jesus is. And then the, the most important question, who do you say that I am? And see, you guys, if you're going to embrace your mission, if you're going to truly be used of God in a powerful way in this church, in this community, in this world, if you're going to be used by God, you have to come to grips with who Jesus is. See, because if you don't understand the person behind the mission, you'll quit you'll give up because it's not worth it. But when you're absolutely gripped in your heart with the person of Jesus Christ, and you understand that his message and his work changed you first, changed the world, there's nothing more. There's nothing more important than that. And so Jesus, first of all, has to capture your heart. Doesn't mean that you have to be saved. I think that goes without saying. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But You have to have your heart captured by Jesus. Has your heart been captured by him? Is he your everything? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to fulfill the mission he's given to you? Whatever it takes, whatever sacrifice. If you truly understand who Jesus is and he's truly captured your heart and you truly understand the cross and you understand that God became a man and he died in your place, the most amazing message in the entire world and when that captures you it will consume you and you can do nothing else and i don't care how big this church is if we have 150 200 people in this church who are consumed by Jesus captured by Jesus we can change this community just like the disciples did the apostles did in the book of acts there's nothing more that we need you need to understand who Jesus is though he asked you He asks you, young person, who's been raised in the church, he says to you, who is Jesus to you? Not who is Jesus to your mom and dad, not who is Jesus as it's been force-fed to you your entire life, but who is Jesus to you? Well, I'm young, it doesn't really matter. No, it does. It matters a whole lot that you come to grips with this now. Jesus asks you this morning, "Who, who am I? Who do you say that I am? And if you answer like Peter, you're the Christ of God. In other words, you're the Messiah. In other words, you're the one that the Father sent to be on a mission to save the world from their sins. If you believe that, then let's think about that for a second. That ought to change everything. It ought to absolutely revolutionize your life. Why hasn't it? Because I don't think we fully understand the person of Jesus. I don't think we understand his work on the cross. I don't think we understand the message of the gospel. Because if we did, it would change everything. Then Jesus begins to to preach. Verses 21 to 27. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one. In other words, it wasn't the proper time to go out and to begin to proclaim widely and publicly who Jesus was. That time is coming. And believe you me, that time is now. But for this particular time, it wasn't quite appropriate. Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, the religious mafia. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected and I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to be raised the third day. Jesus gives them basically what they can expect to happen in the rest of his life. This is not going to be a bed of roses here, guys. I'm going to suffer and so are you. I'm going to be rejected and so will you. I'm going to be killed and so will many of you. But I will be raised the third day and so will you. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, so here's how you sign up for the mission. If you choose to take it, here's how it will look. Let him deny himself. Ooh, Right out of the gate, Jesus tells us to do something that is absolutely counter to our flesh, to deny yourself. This does not resonate with us. We we don't even understand fully the concept of denying ourselves because we have been raised in a culture that says pamper yourself serve yourself, love yourself, Jesus said, if you want to come after me, if you want to be on my mission, here's task number one, deny yourself. Take up his cross daily, not once, daily, and follow me. In other words, you need to deny yourself and you need to die to self. If you want to be on a mission, if you want to be used by God, this is the only way it will be accomplished, is that you get out of the way. It's not about you. Because you see, if you go out on a mission, and it's about you, and it's about you making a name for yourself, or you being appreciated, or you having some influence, or you being able to tell other people what to do, or people thinking that you're smart, then you're going to hinder what God wants to do. Now, he'll bless the message because it's the gospel, and he'll use it, but you're going to hinder his work. And you're gonna continually be in this place where God is absolutely crushing you. You know how the Bible says that Jesus is the rock? And you have two choices how you're gonna respond to him. One is, you can fall upon the rock and be broken. Or the second is, the rock can fall upon you and you can be crushed. Choice is yours. I'll tell you this, it is much better to fall upon the rock and be broken than to have Jesus fall upon you and to be crushed. And he'll do that. He'll crush you. And he'll bring you to the end of yourself. If you want to be used by God, you guys, it's about denying self. It's about death to self. It's about following Jesus. For whoever desires to save his life, basically the whole world, that's what our culture is all about, is saving your life, right? And I'm not saying that, that we should try to kill ourselves, but I don't think that's what Jesus is saying, but that's what our whole culture is about, eating right, exercising, plastic surgery, trying to save this life. We're trying to prop this person up. Because that's, in their mind, all that they have. But Jesus said, if you desire to save your life, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose everything. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In other words, if you're willing to lose your life now, you'll inherit eternal life later. And you'll inherit all of my blessings and the riches of my kingdom. But if you want to save your life now, if you want to try to hold on to this little bit of life, this little blink of the eye... This vapor, the Bible calls it, if you want to try to hang on to that and preserve that, then you're going to lose everything. And so I'll take plan B. I'll take losing this life because it's not much to keep so that I can receive all that he has for me, so that I can receive eternal life, so that I can receive abundance and riches in heaven. For what profit is to a man, is it to a man, if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? What profit is it to you. If you gain the whole world, whether it be by fame or fortune, if you gain the whole world and yet lose your soul, you're destroyed. It's worthless. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Jesus says, look, if you're ashamed of me now, then I'm going to be ashamed of you when I come back. You know what, guys? I, I don't want that. I don't think you want that. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Are you ashamed of the gospel? If you're not, then what is holding you back? Because you've been sent, and Jesus has said he'll provide for you, and you have the most amazing message in the world that God became a man, and he died in your place. As Jesus said, I will be killed, but I will be raised the third day. He's alive. You have the most amazing message in the world to tell people you've been sent on a mission. God's going to provide for you. He wants you to come to grips with who he is. And if you haven't done that, you need to do that this morning. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, you need to come to grips with who Jesus is. You need to be able to answer that question. Who do you say that I am? It's the most important question you'll ever be asked. Your answer determines your eternal state. Have you come to grips with who he is? Not just as an unbeliever, but as Christians here this morning. Have you come to grips with who Jesus is? Has he captured your heart? Are you on your mission? If you're not, let's get on it today. Let's get busy for the kingdom of God, for his glory. There's nothing like it in all of the world. You can gain the whole world, but what profit is that to you if in eternity you have nothing to show for it? Let's stand and pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Lord, what a challenging set of scriptures, a challenging passage. God, may we take it to heart. God, may it capture our hearts. Lord, may we leave here not only as hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.